Hello, friends. Welcome to the Not Quite Compassion podcast, number episode number 32, entitled Institutional Whiteness with Joseph Saya. Joseph is the executive director at Pacific Islander Community Association in Seattle and uh, just learned a ton from him. He takes things kind of to a next step from um, a prior episode with Ron, Dr. Ron Ruthruff, uh, where we talked about decentering whiteness. And um, Joseph applies uh, the similar kind of ideas to institutions, or as he calls it, kind of the white capping of, um, of institutions, and, and offers some really great solutions, too, um, that have really stuck with me quite a bit since this episode was recorded, of um, looking, trying to engage in community beyond um, in individualism that is oftentimes a byproduct of whiteness. I think you're going to really love it. It challenged the heck out of me. And this is the second to last episode um, of season three. So I'll do uh, one more after this of just kind of a wrap up and some thoughts about um, the season uh, with just me, <laughs> but I've been preparing it for it for a while. And um, yeah, I'm actually really excited about closing out the season on a really cool note. So enjoy. Okay, welcome, Joseph Saya, to the Not Quite Compassion podcast. Um, gosh, I was I was really I was really excited that you said yes because um, I have admired you uh, for quite some time from afar. I don't think we've ever have we ever actually met. You know, I think we might have met once, but in passing. Okay. Yeah. No. Not not any formal uh, meetings. I know you were with uh, the UGM for a minute there. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which I'm sure we'll we'll tie that back in occasionally too, because it, it 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 has to do with our topic, I think, a bit, right? Um, which is uh, institutional whiteness. Is that a fair, fair way to frame it? I I had a, another um, conversation with Dr. Ron Ruthruff, um, which I just mispronounced his name, <laughs> and, um, on whiteness, and he um, described it. It's not new. It's not original to him, um, but I don't have the reference. Maybe you'll know it. But he described whiteness as uh, what do I have down here? Um, Matt. Oh, sorry. Um, possession, mastery, and control, and that's haunted me for a while. Um, as far as in, as a white person, how do I continually make this insidious default? to assuming possession, mastery, and control, even on this topic, right? Like, uh, I think it'd be very easy to like try to master this <laughs> and then yeah, yeah, further, yeah. further perpetuate the, the same, the, the very problem. Uh, anyway, right. how does that, how's that as a foundation work for you? Any holes well, in that great. you'd add? You know, you know, I, so whiteness, the study of whiteness is actually a study um, that uh, was started by black and brown uh, uh, people, right? And thinkers uh, who felt the, the, the exactly whatever that description is, right? For them, it might have been different or in different words, um, but they felt some insidiousness, you know, of, uh, of this evil. And so a lot of white studies uh, actually was um, started by black and brown people um, because of their treatment, right? Um, and then I think you're right, you know, even 
even white studies became possessed by white people, right? And so yeah. then it became an insulated study, right? A study, uh, the I think I think in in the beginnings there was um, an attempt to doctor it, right? To doctor uh, whiteness uh, out of whiteness, right? Or um, in some ways to heal it. But I think in a lot of ways, like um, it's become like you know the end thing, right? Um, yeah. and, and folks are like majoring and getting all types of PhDs. <laughs> with it without actually undoing it or dismantling it or or being in relationship um uh or having whatever it is that we know about whiteness um interrogating enough um and, and having the relationships to be able to dismantle it right and so yeah i like that definition what how have you seen whiteness when it comes to institutions yeah. So when, when we talk about the sort of this way that whiteness uh, now has become a study, right, uh, and now has um, almost become like um, moved in the arena of um, self-help, right, mm-hmm. uh, where it's it's a whiteness study that is um, very much now steeped in in individualism, right? I was just about uh, to say that, yeah, because yeah, that's... that's... Yeah goes hand in hand with self-help right it becomes yeah exactly that that anybody sort of can unlearn themselves out of whiteness right Mm. um and so i think um in a lot of ways um institutions have sort of adapted that you know um adapted sort of uh, that uh those values and how they're holding these conversations and also how it plagues now like uh diversity conversations or diversity equity um um, and inclusion uh, conversations and a work that has to do with it because it's really not a reorganizing of power or dismantling of whiteness, uh, but um, but really uh, it's it's masking uh, the 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 sickness that is uh, whiteness and how it lives in institutions. Uh, either through language, you know, or just um, by coloring a problem. <laughs> uh, just because you color the the mountaintops um, brown, you know, doesn't mm-hmm. actually cure the disease that is, you know, um, that I think um, uh, was formed initially by by how those values are like ingrained in the DNA of our institutions, you know, in our culture. Yeah, and when we when we approach it individualistically or as a self help, one that first problems that come to mind for me is when you're talking about possession, mastery, and control, those are all relational ideas. But if I'm not in relationship continually in community and relationship, like mutually vulnerable, um, mutually uh, intimate relationships with others, then I never have a chance to actually work those things out. They're only theories that I further master and control and possess <laughs> as opposed to uh working it out in community where I am continually humbled, my blind spots are illuminated um, and I dismantle, or as you said, right. Um, right. Is there anything you would add to that? That's, I mean, that's the first one that that would obvious to me. Yeah. You know, um, there's a dehumanization, I think that happens uh, when um, that happens, you know, so there's the, the two sides of how, uh, whiteness and racism impacts uh, the human person, right? Um, the internalized uh, superiority, right, on on the white people's side, yeah. and internalized inferiority on folks that are non-white, um, and and are black and indigenous, right? 
And I think there's a there's a dehumanization either way, right? Yeah. Um, but the way that that dehumanization shows up uh, with white folks is uh, this uh, dis- this uh, distancing from their ancestors, their, their, uh, this distancing from their closest relatives, right? Um, and 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 it, so there's it's a rupturing of relationship. It's a rush for rupturing a relationship to self, to history, to parents, to ancestors. Um, because now um, uh, what you replace that, that with is the psychological superiority and also the values of individualism, the values of winning, the values of, uh, uh, you know, manifest destiny. You know, all of those things yeah. replace that humanity that was intact, right? Um, and so, yeah, it, it's a, it's quite a thing, right? Because, you know, it's like the hardest thing for you the, the work that white people need to do is really to be with each other, right? To to be with their families, you know, to be in their communities and to heal that sickness, right? Um, but oftentimes uh, when we get in these circles, you know, there's the, a lot of white folks run away from that, right? Run away from their families, run away from their communities. And and in some ways, I, yeah, I think it's it's still part of that sickness, right? But the the, the call is not to run away from it, right? The call is actually to, uh, to re-engage in the relationships that have been ruptured. So are you saying as, as, a, as a white person, if I, if I, by engaging with my family, my community, my relatives more, I'm reconnecting to the fuller picture of who I am Mm -hmm. and then restoring some of my humanity in the process. So like practically speaking, um, I'm faced to confront some of the historical racism in my, in my family's past. Right. Right. Um, my dad grew up in Kansas for crying out loud. I mean, you know, so there's, there's like, he's, he's shared with me stories, but I haven't heard many of them to be honest with you. Um, but then I, I wonder if it beyond that too, it's also a connecting to, or it, it, I wonder if it has a way of um, taking away the illusion that somehow I, I arrived here all on my own. Yes. I'm a, I'm a yes. The dichotomy, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the dichotomy between the liberal and the conservative white, you know, it's, mm. it's, it's fake. It's false. Right. Um, like all of it needs healing, right? Like we all need healing, right? Yeah. Um, but as long as you say that you are the redeemed, that you are the saved, right? Um, yeah. In a lot of ways, you know, that that perpetuates, you know, um, the, the very evils, you know, that is uh, what's plaguing us. Um, I think a lot about that. I think a lot about uh, the work of, of, of activists or organizers like myself uh, when we forget where we come from um, and we are, you know, we become like almost distant to our, our own relatives that are close to us, right? But really, that's where the healing starts. That's where the work starts is, you know, like um, the work that I need to do with my family, right? So either either side of the the on the white side on the non-white side like we have a lot of work to restore the humanity that i think has been lost and continues to be lost through uh you know the perpetuation of racism and white supremacy and whiteness through these uh, structures right uh, that dehumanize human lives on both sides mm-hmm. um and so the work has to be done um through relationships right mm-hmm. um yeah it's you know it's that whole like um 
the the saying in the black in the black community, right? Don't don't step over church to get to church, right? Like you know, like don't like we're all trying to go to church, but on the way to church, how are you treating people on the road? You know, oh, like how yeah. Yeah. you know how how does that inform you know like you know your your walk to this you know to whatever this healed state or healed places, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm just letting it sink in a little bit because that's um, that's really good. I think it, um, what it does to it probably confronts because what that does, it invites us into actual healing, like you said, as opposed to, I think, uh, a, a cheap, um, alternative is, is like a, a tokenism, you know, that can, can happen. It's, this is my black friend or my brown friend or, and we just, but it, that's still hyper individualistic, right? It's all. I'm still the center of it. It's my black friend, which is that's there's a lot there. I think that's that we can pull apart. That's problematic. <laughs> um, but I think there's a lot of um, it never actually gets to the, the root issue of, of uh, this hyper individualism. That's never actually a meaningful relationship with others. How's that land for you? Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's it. You know, it's, the work is hard, you know, the work of healing is hard. Uh, there's no, there's no way like around it or over it. Right. It's, yeah. yeah, it's growing pains. Yeah. You mentioned earlier about um, kind of the coloring of institutions, right. Um, and the, the brown caps. Um, what are some problems that you've seen as either it just a, a it seems like you're you're alluding to the idea that just a, it's a it's a manufactured or kind of put on um, black and brown leadership of like almost some token tokens in order to portray a diversity that doesn't actually exist or or sorry probably more so an equity that doesn't exist um, or even worse just um, these white caps right of of institutions that are predominantly white led um, people serving black and brown um, individuals or communities. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there is a market for it now, right? To color the top, right? And so um, there's a, there's a, it's the same values, right? Whether it's the, like a white person that has those destructive values, right? Um, uh, Those dehumanizing values or somebody who's black and brown that has um, also internalized and, um, and possess those dehumanizing values, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what skin color, right? Um, you're still going to do harm, right? If you're having to assimilate to get to that type of place, right? Uh, where you are given access to positional authority, right? Um, and so, well, you mean practically, practically, sorry, you mean, you mean the white person takes on a, a, a idea of sub- superiority and the, and the black person, even though, or brown person, even though they're in positions of leadership, they still have to maintain some sense of, of, um, of inferiority in order to well, remain there. They, that or worse yet, they've, um, they've internalized, uh, you know, uh, the, the values, right. The dehumanizing values of capitalism, right. The dehumanizing mm-hmm. values of having to, um, basically, you know, make a few compromises, sell out your people for you to get in those positions. Right. Yeah. Um, so no, it's, it's not a, it's not a real, it's, it's the p- power hasn't been interrogated. Right. The, the power structure is still the same. 
is uh, but there are individuals that are brought in to uh, to you know um, perform you know like as if uh, there has been some real change but it's all it's all um you know it's all aesthetics right and the, you know when you really look at systems and you look at uh, you know um, how communities are faring on the ground you know that's not that's not the reality right and so I, I think there's a lot of us um, in the black and brown communities that have adopted a lot of harmful, you know, uh, values, right? Um, when we go through higher uh, academic um, institutions, uh, that's, you know, a, a place where you might learn that, you know, you might learn um, to internalize inferiority or to look down on your communities of origin and your family and to adopt values that, you know, will get you ahead, right? Um, in, the, in, the, in this game. Um, and so both, and, both disconnect you from the larger sense of community and relationship you had, right? Like, yeah, exactly. It, it, it gets you back into that. I'm a self-made man trap. Yes. Like, it's, and, and it's the yeah. same thing, right? Whether it's, it's white, black or brown, right? It's, mm. it's the same, it's the same dynamic, you know, um, it's, it's, it's not healing, right? You haven't really transformed a system, uh, cause there's still winners and, and, and losers at the end, right? Um, of that system. Yeah. And so, you know, I think um, uh, it's funny because when we talk about uh, dismantling racism, you know, oftentimes in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle, it's it's institutional racism that is talked about, right? Um, everywhere else in the country, it's undoing racism. But in Seattle, we've like basically become really smart racists <laughs> and have, um, you know, really... Um, uh, taking on the language of social justice and the language of justice uh, without any real um, material uh, spiritual uh, transformation, right? Because when you look at our education system, our prison system, when you look at, um, you know, the, the rates of poverty and who's, who's impacted and who's not, you know, um, it's, it's there, right? All of it is there here in Seattle. It's even more entrenched in Seattle, uh, the the disparities uh, than other places uh, in the country, you know, and so yeah, so I think in Seattle, um, the institution itself has learned to become um, a really really at, uh, good at hiding um, the the ways um, that it harms, right? Yeah, and uh, and players uh, that within those institutions have become smarter racists. Yeah, it reminds me of. Um I think, correct me if I'm, if I'm, if you know this to be different, but I think it was attributed to, to, um, uh, to King. And it said, he said something to the effect of, um, in the North, they don't care how high you get, but they care how close you get in the South. They don't care how um, close you get. They care how high you get. And he, he was bringing up that dynamic of power and relationship. Um, and I, and to your, to your point, like, systemic racism looks different in different parts of the world and like in, in Seattle, you know, vast majority of people voted for Obama because we love seeing, you know, uh, black and brown people rise to, to positions of leadership. And we're all for that. And like you said, those brown caps, however, um, they don't care how high you get, but they care how close you get. Right. <laughs> so that's where we, our racism shows itself probably um, at least historically according to King is that it's going to be more in our inability to have any actual um, meaningful relationships with people different than us. Where in the South, they'll, they'll be super nice and bring you over 
uh, for iced tea anytime, but there's no way in hell you're going to be governor. You know? Right, right, exactly. Right, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What What are some um, specific or practical ways you've seen that demonstrated of how racism gets smarter? Yeah, I mean, you know, you have a you have a county that has um, a a race equity toolkit, right? <laughs> like the government has a race equity toolkit, and and you you talk about like how entrenched the poverty is here, right? Um, and and there's there's no moral will to actually um, uh, you know politicize solutions, right? Um, I don't know if you've seen the the the, the recent um, documentaries that were coming out. I, th- I believe it was Como Four News uh, that were really demonizing uh, folks that were on the streets and folks that were mentally ill, right? Yeah. And um, and it, they called it, you know, um, Seattle is dying, right? Um, yeah. But this, you know, playing the the drums of war against poor people, you know, that's what's happening in in uh, in King County. Um, we're mm. very we're morally morally very sick people here in Washington. Um, uh, but you know, like, like I said, like we have the, the race, the race equity toolkit and, and somehow King County is lifted up across the whole country as the model of, you know, of, um, uh, anti-racist practices, right. Um, when we know that, um, nothing has, has been, um, um, done here that has actually changed the material well-being of people, right? Uh, we're we have one of the worst uh, rates of locking uh, locking up black people in the country. You know, we have one of the uh, you know some of the worst rates as far as like um, auto decline, like you know sentencing young people to you know uh, lifelong sentences. You know, um, and, and the list goes on. You know about how um, how the evils of racism is very alive here. Um, yeah. And, but you would, you would never know otherwise because, you know, there's, um, like, you know, and I said this before, the races have gotten really smart, you know, and have hijacked the language of justice, uh, to hide, um, all of, uh, all of, uh, itself, you know, to, to disguise itself. Yeah. Because the, are you saying the problem you, uh, you laughed when you brought up the the justice toolkit, right? Mm-hmm. Is that is I do I hear you saying that the, the the problem there is it's we just we just took time to systematize it and um, and master it, possess it, and control it, but didn't actually address our own actual problem or, or insidious de- default of possession, mastery, control. We just we just created a program to illustrate yeah. the very thing we're, we're supposed to be against. Yeah, and put, and, and put a couple, uh, and, and then Brown capped it with a couple speakers. Yeah, and not to mention, um, you know, that knowledge was sacred knowledge from, from you know, justice organizers, you know? The, mm-hmm. the toolkit, like, is is a hijacking, right? It's an appropriation, it's a harvesting mm-hmm. of, like, the actual language of the people, um, and, and the government essentially just went and snatched it, right? Um, and now it's using it as, you know, as... Um, like a, a, you know, their their dress, right? The dress that they wear, uh, so that people mm. think that they are actually committed to justice. But, you know, I mean, the realities are it's a very white rule. <laughs> King County is ruled by white people, you know, uh, and 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 white people that love to hoard power and have not interrogated the ways that they continue to um, 
to hoard and not share. And they, you know, and and I know and I know this um, from um, some of my experiences in doing work in the homelessness system. Um, being involved in King County yeah. and seeing the ways that um, the county itself as a government organizes its resources and who's actually running those resources. And whenever there are movements by actually brown and black people to, uh, to, to, to have some power, to have some say, to like change the ways that we make decisions by bringing uh, the decision-making power to, to the level of communities, um, that easily gets, um, you know, run over taken over, appropriated, you know, um, and, and, or just straight up destroyed, you know, like, you know, there's a lot of attempts to actually kill authentic movements that are happening uh, within this county. Sorry, Kyle, I'm like singing the, the, uh, the sad news of oh, no, the, I don't, no, the realities is, of this, no, this county. I, no, I'm glad you are. And I, 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 I actually, I mean, you know, my, my background too, with, um, with, with nonprofit sector that, I saw that play out often in their desire to do triage in communities, but not development. So, oh yeah, we can add yet another van going out each night for search and rescue to pass out uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and bottles of water. Um, but, but no, we're going to shut down this youth development program, that after school program for people or any kind of development of the community, as opposed to just, no, let's keep attending to the immediate physical needs, the emergency needs of people, because that market's better. And also, right, that's, right. I think that's the that's why is because, frankly, it it looks better on a flyer. You can you can fundraise more off of it. Right. Exactly. Without without ever having to give up power. Right. Yeah. Uh, you can use and exploit uh, poor people and their suffering. Uh, without you know ever having to transfer power, uh, it's paternalistic, right? We'll give yeah, you just yeah. enough to keep going, but it actually fuels us in order to keep doing what we're doing. So we, right. I, I've said this before in prior podcasts, but it starts off as this noble venture. It ends yeah. up needing needy people in order to keep sustaining the program that you created to end homelessness. You're no longer yeah. interested in ending it. You, you actually need it now. Yeah. You know, and that's at the, the, the core of like the nonprofit world here yeah. in Seattle, right? A lot of the, the I've seen that pattern over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it came out of, um, you know, uh, and at a time when the, the first, uh, colonizers, white colonizers and their families were coming over here also with the Christian churches, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, congregational churches, the Methodist churches, uh, the Presbyterians that were, uh, coming over to colonize, um, uh, Washington state about a hundred plus years ago. Um, and also while they were committing genocide and while they actively damned the rivers of Seattle so that the indigenous tribes could actually die because that was a strategy of white colonizers to take over land is actually to kill the food sources of, of, of native people. And so they learned that from the Midwest when they killed Buffalo, right? Um, and, and when they got here, they learned that it was actually salmon and the, and, and the fish in the, in the water. So they dammed up Seattle um, and there was actually a fish fry and was, that was celebrated all across uh, the, the white uh, colonies here in Washington state, basically because they knew the tribes would die out. Um, and that was the beginning of homelessness here in Washington state was the original displacements of uh, Coast Salish and Duwamish people in downtown. And that's how the nonprofit started out is to actually, you know, 
uh, it's and it's really rooted in white saviorism. But like the government and, and uh, the business own, owners did this harm. They go to church, and that was their way of paying penance, right, mm-hmm. for all of the evil that they they uh, caused while working um, and, and running their businesses. And they go on Sunday, mm-hmm. and then this is where the nonprofits uh, were born out of uh, to mitigate the the evils that they were committing <laughs> when they were not in church. <laughs> um, and the first nonprofits came out of uh, the Plymouth Church, the UCC Church in downtown, um, uh, you know, Seattle. And all of the main churches uh, or main nonprofits were b- b- birthed out of there. And that's the denomination. That's the, uh, what do you call it? The, the Protestant side. You also have your uh, your Catholic side, which is, you know, um, Catholic community services that is also rooted in the uh, uh, colonial inv- uh, investment of the Catholic Church, you know, into the Pacific Northwest. And so it was another arm of, uh, of, of empire, uh, nonprofit. It was after the government arm, the military arm, the religious arm, and the nonprofit arm was working um, in tandem with all those, those other harms. Yeah. Uh, to to perpetuate what they were perpetuating. Wow. Um, See, I didn't know. I did not know any of that. And and you know me well enough to know I've you know I've, I've worked in the nonprofit world in the Seattle area for twenty years. <laughs> I, I, that's the first time I've heard that, mm-hmm. um, which is embarrassing, but also goes back to your larger point that um, how disconnected I am from from historical roots, from, from relationship, from, um, from how we got here. And and so of course there's going to be blind spots and biases and whiteness that will, um, that will continue to harm people around me. Um, as long as I stay disconnected like that. Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because, um, the, the main families, right. Uh, form the streets of Seattle, right? Like, what is the streets? Uh, Jesus, right? James, what's the E? Um, the S is Seneca. Uh, I know that either. Um, and then, Are you um, serious? I'm serious, yeah. And then I think the, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a weird, <laughs> it's a weird, um, I don't know. I don't know what you would call that. In quote, yeah, unquote, liberal, Mar- you know, um, yeah. liberal Seattle. There's this, jeez. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, so I just want to get extra personal. Um, I am, um, so we'll see how relevant it is, is to the podcast listener, but I have you for a few more minutes. I just, I really want to hear your, um, your, your, um, your feedback on this. I, I'm finishing up um, the very, very end of a doctoral program um, where I also got my master's. Uh, predominantly white school, Multnomah in Portland, uh, which has its own. Uh, that's funny. I'm more. I'm probably more knowledgeable in Portland's historical racist roots than I am Seattle. Um, but uh, and I'm I am just stumped on what I want my final project to look like because I am I am uh, terrified by the by the very likely probability that I will be co-opting black and brown people's work in order to um, create something helpful and for put, continue to perpetuate the whiteness 
that I've lived from of possession, mastery, and control. I mean, it's a, it's a fucking doctorate. How more mastery, possession, and control can you get, right? Um, and I'm at a loss, Joseph. I don't, um, I don't know how to navigate this, and I, um, I don't even know really where to start. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know if that's if that's not enough information or what, but I, um, I'm at a loss, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I would say like, you know, the the ways that we um, think about the spheres of influence and our spheres of power, right? And where we uh, invest those resources at is really important, you know, how we choose to spend our time, who we choose to, to hold up and lift up, you know, in, um, in uh, the work that we do. And that goes for everybody, you know, um, in, in the work of undoing and dismantling racism, uh, there's no such thing as an ally, uh, because, you know, even the term itself, like, uh, excuses white people from from having to do the labor that they need to do, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to be the, like dismantling the, 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 the system, right? Dismantling the illness, dismantling uh, the ways that uh, we've ranked the beautiful creation that, you know, that is uh, humanity and, 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 and mother nature and earth. What another way of saying it say be like to cheerlead allyship is just cheerleading your cause as opposed to recognizing it's our cause. Is that it's, yeah, exactly. It's like excusing yourself out from having to do the labor, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we need black and brown labor, and we also need white labor uh, for justice, you know. And so I, I don't necessarily think that you know um, uh, if you come from a particular lot, you know, that that is. Um, in itself, you know, a bad thing, you know, it's how we uh, invest those resources and invest, um, you know, and and how we lift up communities, right? And I think, you know, Kyle, like, I think if there are meaningful ways for you, uh, you know, to do that, you know, to, um, I think, you know, it's, it's not an unworthy cause, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think wherever we're at in life, we just, we have to, um, operate in it in a, with with some different sort of values and and really like there's so there are you know anti-racist uh, principles that people can live by right um that can kind of help you sort of make sense of your path you know yeah. um and yeah and I, if you're practicing those principles it it really doesn't matter where you're at you know um yeah but that I like that you brought up anti-racism as opposed to just like, cause it has to be an active venture. It can't be, a, if our, my, my passive, if I, if I approach this thing in, in passive passivity, the, the insidious default um, yeah. ends up rearing its ugly head. Like I have mm-hmm. to be actively pursuing and practicing these exercises and, and, um, and living that out um, and pursuing it. Yeah. Um, I have to see it as, as our cause and not just uh you know, something I do on the weekend and, or post on Facebook or, you know. Yeah, and there's a, there's a community there, uh, Kyle. Um, there's a, a, a People's Institute community there, the People's Institute, which are uh, anti-racist organizers that are based out of New Orleans, but now there's a branch in Portland. Um, it's a good community to be connected to, to find ways uh, for, you know, for you to show up as an organizer as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're doing a lot of good work in Portland. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I agree. 
Well, thanks, Joseph. Anything else you want to add before we kind of? Yeah, I'd say like, um, you know, like you can't really do this work without a base. That's like your base that continues to strengthen you, the community that that sharpens you, the community that holds you accountable, you know? Mm. Um, And that's one way for you to... um, and to kind of resist this whole like individualism of it all, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I would encourage folks that if you want to do meaningful work, uh, to have you know a good base that's that's supporting you, you know, um, and and helping you with uh, with building that work because it's not in, yeah, it's not individual work; it's collective work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, that's so good. I, I I had never made that connection of of individualism to that insidious default like that's that's how that is allowed to happen in our lives because we have no one calling calling us on our bullshit you know like i got no one you know i got or if i do it's like a virtual one or it's a tokenism where they don't actually have any power uh, to say anything in my life they're just uh you know it's a it's a brown cap like you said um but doesn't actually address um the toxicity underneath um it's really good really really good it even uh, I know we got to land a plane here, but I, it it gets me thinking about my own spirituality and how that's shaped so predominantly by individualism as well. Too for for far too long, it was about the individual sinner and saint, and now I'm starting to see things in categories of oppressor and oppressed, right, right, far yeah. more communal, right, far more mm-hmm. relational, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that's helped a lot to reframe even how I read the Bible or. How, um, how would you describe your spirituality Is it, real quick? If we, I, I'm, I'm just curious personally. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, so I'm a descendant of Nafanua, uh, which is um, a liberation uh, uh, deity within the Samoan uh, pantheon and, and religion. Uh, so I, you know, I'm a practitioner. I try to do my best to like learn that history and learn that spirituality and internalize those values. And at the same time, you know, my my ancestors um, um, in some ways um, had to integrate uh, the teachings from Christianity and make it something that it was real for them, you know, um, so that they were able to survive. They knew that this religion was coming and either it could, you know, uh, they can either like seriously resist it, you know, or find the ways that they can integrate Christianity into their own uh, sense of of being in the world. And and they did that. And I want to honor that, too, you know, yeah. uh, that my ancestors did that. And so I also um, identify as a Christian in that way. Right. As a Samoan Christian um, because of the work that they did. And so but I, I don't see it as a like a either or, you know, I see it as. Yeah. All of these things are integrated and, you know, God was, uh, was um, expressed in Samoan, you know, culture and religion and people way before, you know, um, Europeans came and that there were uh, definitely a lot of practices that um, were rooted in healing and reconciliation and love um, that I think are a lot more <laughs> to the message <laughs> yeah. than some yeah. of the practices that we got from the, from the folks that claim, uh, you know, to have access, uh, to, uh, this, this, uh, God right? And yeah. so, yeah, I'd yeah. say all of it, A, B, and C. Yeah. No, that's great. That's beautiful. Yeah. I'm not an atheist. 
I've had, I've had, I've had my share of atheists on, on the, on the podcast. And it's <laughs> some of the most deeply spiritual people I've ever met. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I love them, but I'm like, Oh my God. They're, I mean, they're some of my best friends and I'm yeah. like, eh, we're so not in agreement, but that's okay. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Well, thanks for your time. I, um, gave me a lot to think about. I'm going to play this one back a few times and, um, Thank you. I really miss all that. Yeah, thanks, Kyle. I appreciate you reaching out in a relationship. And yeah, um, best of luck on on the journey with your PhD and hope to see you around. Yeah, you too. Yeah, it would be fun to connect in person one of these days, finally. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kyle. All right, thank you. listening to the not quite compassion podcast it'd mean the world to me if you took the time to rate uh, and review leave a little comment on itunes or spotify about the podcast tell us what you like about it and it really helps with the ranking of it and for more people to be able to find it um, also if you have any questions about the podcast or suggestion or something um, go ahead and just email me it's uh, kyle dean reynolds at gmail.com simple as that so k-y-l-e-d-e-a-n-r-e-y N-O-L-D-S, Kyle Dean Reynolds at gmail.com. Uh, or you can always reach out to me on the socials uh, at, at Kyle Reynolds on Twitter. Thanks. Uh-huh.